This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another edition of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today, finally, after um, weeks and months, maybe, of uh, trying to and fro in a, a WhatsApp. Honestly, this guy is so busy. I just don't know how he does it. Um, welcome to the podcast, uh, Prash Sutherson. Thank you. How's it going? I was going to say Sudarshan uh, or, or do it that way, but then I just thought I'll, I'll probably be a bit polite in that way. The accessible way for most of the listeners, I think that's <laughs> You know something? That's probably the most diplomatic way of saying it, accessible. We have to be really diplomatic in this game, so I've had to learn all the uh, buzzwords, buzzword, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was funny because, like, um, I was just we were just saying that I was literally lying down and uh, saw, the, uh, saw the message coming up. I was watching... <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla with my son, and uh, I thought, yeah, let's just get, let's get, let's just get it down because I think I was like the first time I seen this promoter going. I've just finished the tour, and I was like, fuck it out, it's just his own tour, really. Yeah. <laughs> forget, forget the artist, and like how busy uh, you've been doing it. So, is it, it, you've just done the prophecy tours? Um, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then how was that for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, amazing experience. Um, it was actually originally booked in 2020 or to happen in 2020 in April. Um, but that was, you know, just after the pandemic, real lockdowns came to place nationally. So it's been postponed twice now. So, yeah, a lot of stress to get to this point, especially if you imagine how long there was planning prior to actually putting it out in the first place. So this conversation and this tour has been in the head since, you know, late 2019, maybe. So to have it finally actually done is amazing. Um, the shows themselves went great. Uh, I was uh, looking for the sort of right artist for us to sort, because this is our first actual tour as a team, like bringing the artists physically over, touring them, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been a really rewarding experience and I'd envisioned doing a tour with the sort of artists that I feel I'm passionate about, whether it's their music or the artistry or whatever. And Prophecy was someone I had pegged for a long time um, and sort of being on the conversations with this team uh, off the back of the sort of Gary Sandu tour that I did with E3 UK. And yeah, things just sort of fell into place. They were pretty easy to get on with and sort of have open chats with, you know, what do we want to do? forget the money for a second or whatever it's about what do you conceptually want to achieve which is really really important for us you know how does it look what sort of theming are we going for that sort of thing and then building it from there and building the ideas and you know the money and the sort of okay what we you know all of that sort of thing came after that which is which kind of told me okay these are the right kind of people that we want to work with and the right kind of artist that has the mentality that we're looking for so you know I'm pretty picky when it comes to working with venues or artists or whoever it is so it had to be the right one for us he has been the right one for us and you know now it's in the rear view in a sense I can say that it was a great decision from our team 
Uh, it's been a really great experience. I think, I mean, I was with him earlier this morning, uh, just getting his PCR before he goes to fly back to Canada and just, you know, just general questions like, how's the feedback been your end and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's been a, a really great experience for everyone. And, you know, now we just look forward. I think post pandemic, uh, um, well, post lockdown, let's say, um, yeah, Desi Beats, the, the whole branding has come out absolutely roaring. You know, it's, re- it's, been, it's been relentless in, in the way that it's, it's been. Um, what do you attribute that down to? Um, loads of factors, really. I think first and foremost, the general nightlife industry has sort of boomed again where there's quality which is where I kind of tie in and crossroads is, is that uh, we've sort of always uh, aspired to provide quality within a reasonable price and, you know, always sort of deliver the right sort of venues and shows and production and this and that, whatever. And I think that 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 crossroads, when things have opened back up again, people have sort of looked to, okay, where do I trust my first nightlife experiences back in this strange new world that we're in? Where do I want to go? And, uh, you know, it's like when you're looking for a takeaway on your Just Eat or Uber Eats, you're like, okay, which food is not going to upset my stomach today? What's the safe option? Depends yeah. what time it is. Depends, yeah. Depends <laughs> what state you're in after a few glasses and that. But for me, I feel like when people kind of scroll their options with a name you recognize, with a name you trust, I mean, this is going to be our 15th year of doing this now. And I think that really counts for something because most promoters or events are sort of flashing the pan. They come and they go, they try and make a quick buck. And I think there's something to say about staying power, about longevity. Uh, I feel like we've always tried to adapt and to people's demands. And, you know, when things open back up again, even for me, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into it over this podcast, but, you know, myself and our team, we weren't really sure how the world was going to look after all of this. We weren't sure, you know, would we be going again? Will people be raring to go out? You know, what sort of... Um, what sort of fears are people going to have about that? And luckily, touch wood, you know, for the most part, yeah, I mean, there's still definitely that out there. And I feel like considering how well we're doing without all that pandemic stuff going on, the COVID and even the new variant and this and that that's coming, we'd probably be performing even better than we currently are. So the fact that we're doing well at the moment is really amazing. Um, we don't take it for granted and we're just going to sort of keep working hard to maintain that and sort of creep back up to the level that we expect to be at. I mean, you just said it there in terms of there's two questions that I really want to ask you in terms of like you got your you got you've been involved in it like 15 years, let's say. Um, one was kind of relating back to the prophecy thing. Why 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 was he the why was he the first artist for you to do the the own the a tour on considering you've been there for that long and been successful? Yeah. Yeah. And the second one was was the pandemic the closest the biggest challenge that you had in your promoting career. Okay. Um, all right. Well, the first question, why prophecy? Um, I just, uh, I mean, I listen, in terms of music, I listen to everything. So house, R&B, garage, hip hop, pop, commercial, indie, like everything. And, uh, you know, even getting into Desi music, like that wasn't my inroad into when I started promoting, like I was doing other events and working on other types of brands and different types of music. And Desi sort of comes slightly in the middle or slightly after that, uh, when still when I was a student, but I didn't really have a full appreciation for the music. And I only got to understand the culture pretty much over this 15 years of running the brand. Um, and in doing that, I've been able to appreciate the good, bad and ugly of all types of Punjabi music, whether it's Punjabi in the prophecy sense or whether it's UK Pangra or whether it's even, you know, folk or whatever other styles they may be. 
And um, I just felt that when I looked at what artists are available, who have worked with people already, who have toured, who hasn't toured, um, I knew that Prophecy had not toured yet. I felt like he wasn't really a club artist. He's not a club artist in any sense. He's really a true musician, produces and writes his own music, sings his own music. And I felt like that artist needs to be in the right setting. It's not bringing him over and putting him in a liquid or an Oceana or a, like yeah. how it used to be all back in the days. Um, you know, not a knock on any of those clubs, but you know, certain types of artists don't really fit into that mold. And Prophecy, as we say, Senti, the king of Senti music, you know, you wouldn't expect to go and see him on your local dance floor. You're going to see him in an in, in intimate environment. And it's almost like an audience with kind of... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's exactly what it was. So we said an evening with the Prophecy. You're not coming out to come and rave hard. But, I mean, we had... Uh, a, a, we created a party within that setting but a lot of it was to just sort of feel like you're in the room with the artist and that's the sort of look we were trying to achieve the sort of feel we were trying to achieve with the tour and I just felt like the synergy between what he is stylistically and what we want to be even like as music sort of transforms you know UK taste and the UK kids coming up now they don't just listen to what we listened to when we were you know, at uni anymore, their music taste has transformed a lot, uh, especially, you know, with the sort of UK urban culture and that sort of thing. And now they listen to R&B, to grime, to MCs, and they listen to The Weeknd, or they listen to, I don't know, uh, you know, for me, I listened to, one of my favourite artists was Ryan Leslie, you know, sings, writes, produces own music as well. And I just felt like Prophecy was like our version of Ryan Leslie, like someone who is just totally a real true artist down to the bones. And having worked with him now, you know, I first first time an artist has actually taken rehearsal sessions that I've offered them. And we did two amazing rehearsal sessions with a full band. So we had, it was a full band, but you know, we had keys, we had a guitar, a key and guitar, and we had a, a drummer that flew in from Chicago as well. And uh, that was the best part of it because we were able to put people, or take people away from that club thing that they used to and put them back in front of a band, which is weird considering how popular bands were when we were at uni or just prior I would say but um now you know we want to show people that if you want to see your favorite artist yeah clubs are great I have no knock on them I do club nights myself but you don't have to see every artist in a club setting and some of the artists need to build back on their industry now build back on their growing their fan bases and that sort of thing and the only way you can do that is by showing you're an actual musician so that's my opinion anyway so, think, so obviously that's taken a massive decision when you've come out, uh, uh, you know, through through COVID, uh, through COVID and, and the lockdowns. Um, but how close was it for you? I know we we had several conversations, you know, during during lockdown, um, you know, just general checking to see how you know each other was, and and you know, especially from from your side of it. And uh, you know, it was the first time I've. I heard kind of stress in your in your voice because yeah. um, you were one of the first kind of com uh, people that I ever reached out to to have a to have a conversation um, when I was involved in a little bit of music, um, and I just thought you know if he you know you sometimes you get those kind of canaries and you know if they canary in a cave and you think if they're doing it if there's panic then this this is actual real shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how how close were you to see that your 15 years of going there to almost going under uh, pretty close pretty close and it wasn't to do necessarily with I mean the financial implications of course were pretty awful I mean it was a terrible let's say two years more or less 18 months 
but um really it was just to do more with just the stress of like the anxiety and the not knowing and the effect on your mental health and the effect that that has on everyone around you and really for me I just I'm that kind of person like I need to know what I'm doing where I'm going I like to be organized in my plans and you know yeah of course you're going to have speed bumps or whatever but to a degree when you take control of your own life especially when you're a self-employed person uh you're dictating the terms of your future essentially your hard work means that you'll succeed if you don't work if you don't succeed it's because you know there's been days where you've been lazy and you know which days they were you know which days that you weren't on point the way day that you didn't chase and do certain things and you weren't on it and when you're self-employed you can't be like that for one day because there's always going to be someone ready to jump in your grave so you've got to be on it at all times and the anxiety and the and the pandemic took that away from most of us it was saying f you whatever your plans are i don't give a shit like i am gonna make you wait and when i'm ready to let you get back on track then you can get back on track that was the hardest part for us like i mean i got covid you know i'm like many of us i lost family family and friends and blah 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 to it but the biggest stress for me was just really the complete anxiety of not knowing um luckily i i mean myself my partner whatever we're pretty financially like sort of shrewd and we're not extravagant people so we'd saved enough but we definitely took a dent in our savings but we managed to survive just about and now I just think about the fact that look we're going forward now I think that the the biggest learning curve from all the, the biggest learning point I got from everything was that I couldn't be the rigid person I was like I love being the like I said everything's got to be my control right and my partner's the most laid back in comparison to me. He's the most like easygoing character. And I'm like the most stressful motherfucker ever. <laughs> and I just had to be like, I had to turn into him. And he was always like, bro, like it's out of our control. Nothing we can do. We've got to just sit diet, be patient, support each other for it. Like I had him there in my corner. I had a couple of close friends and family in my corner, just sort of, and, and we managed to just get through it together. And that's all I can say. Like, I'm just glad to, to have an amazing support unit around me. We have a great team in place, great DJs, great venue managers who are always like on the phone with us. What can we do? How can we adapt? Shall we do socially distance brunches? Shall we, how, what, how can we, how can we play with the rules or bend ever so slightly to see that we can do some sort of business and survive? And um, we managed to do that. Like I said, we adapted through it. We did brunches and things like that just to kind of, make sure we had something to stay relevant and in the conversation. And as soon as we were able to get back, we, we bounced back straight away. So, yeah, I know. Cause we both have an interesting to kind of like UFC in it. And yeah, you're, yeah. Kind of, you're a bit like the, you, you like the bit of Dana Pangra promoters at that point where you, when you came out full firing, your first gigs were, right. were, were massive straight away. The UFC was really actually like, it was a great save for me as well, because they were doing events throughout the pandemic they, you know, found ways to adapt. They went to bloody Yaz Island and were doing events there. Like, okay, cool. We can't go to outsource venues. We'll go in our in-house, you know, performance center and do events there. And it, that was even taking a note out of Dana White's book just to be like, whatever it is, find a way to, way, way to make it work. It's not going to be perfect. It ain't going to be ideal. Like, I feel like I enjoyed the fights without the fans, but like nothing like having fans in an arena, kind of the same way that, yeah, a virtual gig is fun, but there's nothing like a full dance floor at the end of yeah. the day. So, you know, it's a, it's a similar in many ways. Uh, and I just love seeing how they overcame everything. And, you know, for us, we can only take lessons from loads of promoters, not just him, Eddie Hearn, like all these great promoters, man. Like, I know we do different types of things, but the, the skills that they put out there and the adaptability and all that sort of thing is, is, is really admirable. Yeah, because they, they were just really determined just to find a way because they knew things were just possible. It was just trying yeah. to find the right, the, the right, the right way and kind of forge it through. Just 
I want to take want to take you back in terms of like how how did how and why did you start in this kind of in this area? What was your interest? Um, okay, so I I was I, I mean I was just a geeky kid kid straight out of secondary school, went to university, uh, and had zero confidence pretty much. Like I don't remember being a particularly confident or outgoing guy. I was friendly or whatever, had great friends and whatever, but was never like. I don't think you'd point at me and be like, that's the guy that goes clubbing or goes to that sort of thing. And I got to uni, first day of uni, literally ran to a promoter who was like, do you want to get paid to party? That buzzword. I was just like, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. I mean, I don't know anyone, don't know any girls, don't know any people, but sure, like, I'll try. And uh, from there, started just sort of doing coaches from uni. I went to Hertfordshire Uni. We're doing coaches from there into London for just like, you know, regular events, work with a company called PTL. who are really, really popular in London. And yeah, just going to all these famous clubs in the West End and Birmingham and Leicester. I remember going to like Creations and I went to, I don't know, so many venues like Birmingham Works and uh, the Works in Kingston and uh, like everywhere, literally Ministry of Sound, all of those ones. And uh, then uh, whilst I was, uh, I think towards the end of my first year of uni, I was approached by someone who worked with ESU, a guy called uh, Chris. And uh, he knew a friend of mine called Neil, who's like an older brother. And they were just like, look, we've got this Asian brand. It's not really doing anything. You're doing loads of parties off campus. Why don't you see if you can work on this one? So I thought, yeah, why not? I knew only like a handful of people. Like I knew Jags, Climax, um, from meeting him through my housemate. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, he's more than enough, really, in terms of getting you into a straight introduction of what the hell that scene's about. So between him and a couple of others sort of, got my foot wet going out there promoting events like Desilicious, doing coaches for them and just sort of getting a feel for what was going on and seeing what I liked, what I didn't like. And yeah, just sort of implementing that back. So started back at RSU. Desi Beats was a, a, a it's called the Font Bar at Hertfordshire, which is quite a well-known student bar back in the day, super famous. Uh, and it was doing like, I think before I took it, it was doing like 60 or 70 people a night. First event we did was 400 which is such a huge improvement. So, so, so they're trying to, they're, where the hell did all these brown people come from? Do you know what I mean? Did like, they try to give you a job for life? Yeah, mate, it was, no, from that, they were, they were, I think we were all shot. Even me, I was like, I don't know who's going to turn up. And then like 400 people in there were like, oh shit, okay, this could maybe be a thing. I think that first night was Punjabi Hit Squad, actually. It's the first time I'd met Dio Rav or anything as well. And what then, year was that, bro? Pardon? What year was that? That was 2007. Okay. 2007 so um yeah so Dean met Dean Rav then and then the next event was Jags client Jags obviously with uh Sachi who was on Desi Hits who was my my eventual housemate good friend of mine and then um and then from there yeah him then PBN and then he just sort of started rolling on a month-to-month basis did some like local events and then yeah just from there from year to year just exploded and numbers went from 400 to 800 800 thousand 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 two hundred and that was until about 2012 um, where it was just sort of booming. I would say it was the number one student union, like Desi Music brand in the country by a mile. Uh, and then 2012 hits. And I think 2011, 2012 was when it started getting sticky for clubs for Asian music. There were lots of events where there were just riots and fights everywhere across the UK. And venues and licensing were trying to phase those kind of events out. They were becoming less and less popular. It was becoming harder and harder to find venues that wanted to do it because of the number of just crazy incidents that were happening. And I was getting to that point where I just graduated uni and I was like, mm, I think I'm going to cool off this for a bit. I need to find an actual job now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I went on hiatus. I tried to do a few different things, including uh, 
working in some PR, working for uh, opening like some well-known restaurant and lounge and chains and things like that and working some clubs on the side still because as anyone who's a promoter knows, you can't ever stop promoting. Like it's like yeah. a little one too, but like, oh, let me just do my like weekend events and just do the week, I'll do work or whatever. But it's always there in the background. And then eventually we came back full circle in 2016 and restarted it in London. And it's just been crazy ever since, really. What what do you put down to 2012 to be in? Would you say it was a changing of the guard in terms of different people leaving? And because I, I think I've, there was a lot of things, bro. Like I think um Musically, I think the, the industry was completely stuck in a rut. Same shit was just coming out all the time, same sort of sound. Nothing was really evolving. I think people were getting tired of that as well. And the quality of the crowd was diminishing bit by bit. I feel like there were, I remember like lots of times when I went out and it was like 95% dudes at every club, Asian club gig you went to. And that's not survivable for any club brand, forget any type of music. But it was just getting to that point where it was like, if you thought like Desi Night, you'd be like, that I'd rather not go if I'm honest yeah. and that was the problem you know there was just a lack of quality control there was so many factors involved and ultimately like I said it was really the fighting uh, at multiple up and down the event look I'm not going to point fingers at one particular event it's all of them like so many of them had it and a lot of it's not even down to the promoters unfortunately a lot of it's just the fact that that music was attracting that type of person and no matter where you put it people would seek it out they'd have a few drinks in them they get their chest muscles up and they start bench pressing each other on the dance floor. And it was just like, what can you do? You know, like this within reason at a certain point, the promoter's like, Fuck it, what can I do? You know, so there had to be, I think there was, it was much needed a pause, you know, during those times. It was, it was like, hey, I think we all need to take a breather here. I think there were some events going on between 2012 and 16, but not really at the sort of level that it's at now again, you know, so. Do you feel, did you feel that the talent also started drying up and people just kept seeing the same people again and again and again? A little bit, a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like there's a reason, right? There's a reason that it gets dried up because if you've seen the same PA everywhere you look, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, and and that's why the season, the, the scene is thriving right now because not only do you have so much talent in the UK again, but you've got talent everywhere, India, North America, like all over the shop and everyone can travel. Everyone has there are there are venues that are happy to accommodate them and there's a scene that everyone can really tour in again which which is what part of what we worked really hard to get back to since 2016 which is create a brand that eventually reinvigorates the scene and i feel like we've been pretty instrumental in that because i think without us plugging away for the last sort of three years you wouldn't now have the other sort of promotions promoters copy copy club uh, copy uh, copycats and brands and you know and, and and i'm not saying that to slate it is what it is but when you that's what a scene needs for it to thrive you need your sort of big names you need your copycats you need your underground scene which i see a lot of now which is amazing i was just talking about bobby with that the other day bobby friction we were saying like it's so sick to see like these underground things happening now whether it's daytimers or whatever i take real pride in that like i don't feel like it's a competition in the slightest i think everyone can win there's enough for events for everyone to go to now so yeah you know what you know when you were coming up to that 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 2012 decision um yeah. i'm 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 kind of going back to it because i kind of remember that because in yeah. in birmingham there was a few events that were going on and there was a few big incidents that happened and yeah. um you know fighting i think the, the bottles getting smashed you know all, all, all these kind of, and and it was just that kind of maturity maturity kind of point how did you like what was the decision making process to say that it's definitely got to stop now rather than just cooling it it was 
so uh, at that were you, time, were you starting to lose money on gigs or anything? No, 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 no. I, I wasn't starting to lose money. So at that time, I had a different partner in the business uh, initially, um, and uh, I just kind of got to that point where I was like, "Did you say really worth the squeeze, man? Like the effort we're going through." And uh, we weren't we weren't having riots at our gigs, but you'd have like you know the usual scuffle or whatever handbags. But it was more to just do with me just sort of feeling a bit flat. Like I'm looking around, like who am I going to book? Like what is there left? I think the last, I won't say the last, I won't name the last lineup that I did, but put it this way, I wasn't happy with it. I was put together in a way where I was like, like I'm literally left with no one else to book. And I remember watching the event happening and being like, I'm really not enjoying this. And when the fun's taken out of it for me, that's when I'm like, fuck this, because you don't do this stuff. You don't stay out till four or 5 a.m. in the morning because it's a job. You stay out because you love doing it. And it just got to a point where I was like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And it had been coming for a little while. I did a few that I just kind of felt like this is not what I envisioned for it. And therefore, I think maybe I can afford to take a pause. And like I said, I had, you know, I was doing other work as well in the meantime. So for me, I just kind of felt like, no, nah, I think we'll take a break. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't well received in terms of that decision. But it was kind of like, all right, well, let's see how it goes. And maybe we'll revisit it in four months or six months. And we revisit it four years later. So, yeah one of the one of the key skills that you you need to have is in terms of a, is, a, is a booking talent really in terms of like knowing when to kind of book an artist where and well not necessarily uh, you know a lot of a lot of companies probably will just stay kind of regional in their area or, or, or the city you'll kind of venture out slightly but you've got very strong presence nationally if you if, if you want you can flex your muscles anywhere really in, in that in that sense how do you gauge the the kind of demand in that particular area for a, for an artist? And then how do you manage their ego to say when they come approach you and say, I can do it? And you're like, mate, no, you can't. <laughs> um, well, I think we've got our finger on the pulse, which is really important. So like I've uh, I listen to a lot of music a lot I listen to when it all comes out even if I pretend like I don't to a lot of people I do I'm always listening out I'm always looking ahead like you know uh, Harps uh, Core and I we created a, a brand just before the pandemic that we did for a year called Native Sounds and it was about finding emerging Asian artists so just putting new talent out there it was a completely selfish endeavor because we were just like mate there's no events like this at all for people to attend or for artists to come and just sort of become a community. So we were like, you know, let's do it ourselves. And we did that out of our own pockets, man, we're making no money from it. And it's a thankless task because it's not like it's like a thousand people come to see an artist. It was probably like, you know, at top end, our biggest one was like 200 people and the smallest ones were like 60 people. But for us, we always thought that in order to progress the scene, all these facets have to be there, whether it's podcasting, whether it's uh, 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 open mics, whether it's the smaller club gigs or the live shows or the concerts or the touring, all of those things have to be present. A, a healthy uh, broadcasting uh, station and all the other stations along with it, all those things have to be functioning for a scene to do well. Some of them aren't, they're still not really firing on all cinders, which I'm sure we'll get to later, but all of those things have to be happening. And in order for us to do that, we have to sort of know musically what's going on. So I pride myself on knowing what's happening in the UK at the moment. I pride myself on having that finger on the pulse in 
internationally as well. And, you know, I'm well aware of what the different types of demographics there are throughout the UK, whether it's Birmingham, where there's such a hardcore sort of Desi following, and that even the nuances between Birmingham and Coventry and Wolverhampton are so different, let's say, and Nottingham and Leicester. And Leicester's like quite a Bollywood sort of crowd and Manchester and, and all over, you know, like we've done gigs in Glasgow now with, with teams up there. We've We've touched Manchester before, Leicester, Nottingham, and, you know, even South Coast as well now. So, you know, it's totally different everywhere. It really is. Like, London is such a mixed mixed bag as well, even for us. So we have multiple different brands. Like, we have Bollywood brands because the Desi Beats is recognised as a sort of Punjabi and commercial brand. And if we play more than 40 minutes of Bollywood, people are like, what are you doing? So we have to create a home for that too. But we can't not play that because we want to be a South Asian music brand and sort of touch on everything too so it's not easy balancing everything and you're never going to get every you're not going to keep everyone happy but um there's a lot of research that goes into things before we ever decide to do an event we never just say oh well you know uh, ricky's releasing an album okay let's just put him on the stage and just see if 300 people turn up it don't work like that uh, and and it's the lazy things like that which is why there's loads of promoters that flop loads of events because they don't do the research they just think it's easy they see us doing it and they say oh let's copy their logo and take a club and just put these four DJs on and we'll get a thousand people. No, you won't, mate. You won't. You ain't going to get close to it. So there's a hell of a lot of hard work in that. So, so you know, when you got that research, because you're not just getting the pressure from necessarily kind of record label or, or someone yeah. or, or a management or anything that way. You, An actual artist will say, come on, man, get me gigs. Yeah. And they'll say, get, like, get me on a tour, get me doing over here. How, how do you kind of deal with egos in the industry? I could avoid that question, but I didn't really. But no, no. I know, you... I, I, you know what it is? You know why? Because I, I made a note of it. <laughs> no, honestly, um, I, I'm lucky that everyone knows how honest and blunt I am. Yeah. But, um, lots of artists, all of them, in fact, know that with me i'm not gonna blag it with them and be like yeah yeah bruv soon like i'm not like that i will tell you if it makes sense and if it doesn't because it's a business at the end of the day they're not saying get me gigs but i'll come perform for free they're saying get me a gig and pay me for it so if i'm gonna pay them for it i have the discretion to say to them whether they're gonna sell enough tickets or not right and i have to be honest like that and i think i used to put a lot of credit uh, and saying well if we get this artist we'll sort x tickets but i don't really do that anymore because i've been told off by many people and they said mate you don't need to do artists you could just do your brand as a night and people will come the artist is sort of the 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 cream the cherry on the top sort of thing of that you know so if you have that there and you put the two things together then it creates magic in a sense which you know for example with frenzy who who we know and we've been working with for a little while the synergy between his brand and our brand is is incredible and he's never done a show with us which has been empty they've all been not even i'm saying not even empty not even half full they're like 80 or 100 percent full no matter what we do no matter where we go and that's what happens when you have two great bands positioned by each other so you know when i speak to artists and they say to me there's something like i've had lots of artists approach me and say oh bro like you know can we do like a five six city tour and I have to turn around to them and say, listen, man, you ain't going to sell five or six cities. Maybe you'll do three cities and maybe with our brand and maybe if it's 200 cap venue and we have the right thing, it can hit. And there's nothing wrong with that because if it's just about you, then that's 200 people that have come to see you. And mate, I'm telling you, most of the other artists, they can't even get 200 people to come and see them in any city. So you have to understand where your position is in the market. Don't take it sensitively, but figure out how you can build upon that. 
And that's what we try and do, really. Like, I try not to be dishonest. I say, hey, mate, maybe on this first one, you're going to be 200 people. But if we get it right and the night pops, next time you go back there, maybe it's 400 people because other two, another 200 people have said, fuck, I should have been there. I should go to that. And that's how you build it. Yeah, I think because, I mean, you said something really interesting before, which was about knowing about the pulse uh, and knowing what the demand is. And uh, I kind of had this question with uh, with Tony and I think a little bit maybe of with Bobby Friction and Harps as well from like from a BBC angle, which was that you've got a lot of the artists that are coming over with massive views. Yeah. And you've got to somehow kind of go. Yeah. You, you, you have to kind of go through that and actually say, I don't care about your views. I need to know how many people are going to turn up through the door. Yeah. But how do you kind of see through? How do you see through that? Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, luckily, so far we've been good. We haven't uh, we haven't um, picked any bad ones. And I think overall, my judgment on the matter in terms of having a look and seeing like is this bullshit or not, like has been pretty good. Um, I can say that like even I mean, I'm sure you know about the last three months, pretty much every singer from India has been in the UK. Mm. Uh, either on gigs that haven't happened because they've been cancelled or harassing for events or to jump on through people I know for our events, for example, and things like that. And I just kind of feel like I knew everyone was here. I've got loads of nights on. If I wanted to get them on, I would have got them on, but I didn't because it didn't feel like they'd pull. And also you can see from the judgment of the gigs they do choose to pick initially that they're not credible as an artist or as a team. And that's really hard because some of them are really talented and they've just got stupid people around them that are just either money hungry or they just care about themselves or their friends that they know in the UK. But there's no longevity there. And that's a message for every artist. Like you have to be really careful about what you're picking. You shouldn't end up on a bloody ladies night if you're an artist that should be selling out arenas. Facts. Don't, you know, and that's not that's not a knock on anyone. That's just facts. Some of these acts, they will just take any money. They don't think about longevity. And that's why, you know, I was just having this conversation yesterday with someone. They were like, Bro, Jazzy B, yeah. As much as like he's not my kind of music or my style necessarily, bro, the guy is still getting paid for performances and he's still out there. He's still gigging nonstop. And there's something to that. No matter what you want to say, there's something to that. And most of these guys right now, they're going to be flashes in the pan. You ain't going to see them again. They've already had their glory, glorious one tune and, and that's it. It's done for them already. And there's only a certain amount of time you can survive being that person you have to adapt you have to put be productive put music out constantly and people can see through when you've got 500k followers and you've only got 26 likes on your picture do you know what i mean like it's just i, I think it's a little bit harsher than that if, if i'm honest if you if you right. like if, if if you've got x amount of million views you've got x amount of likes let's say you're struggling to sell tickets at a gig like literally in the, in, the, in Bangla capitals of like Birmingham or in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't, you you ain't got 150 tickets or 200 tickets that can be sold. Like, who who's going to actually pull you to a side and say, look, something ain't right here. You like, I think people have caught on. They can see through what's go what's going on, and like have that reality check. I don't know, man. Because like, I mean, there's two guys over right now touring. Um, uh, they've got a UK tour. Their first gig did like 200 tickets. Their second one's in, I think, somewhere local in maybe South or whatever. That maybe be busy. Maybe that have like 400, 500 people tops of sort of like a freshy crowd. And then I think there's one more, maybe Leicester after. I'm sure that would be like two, 300 people max as well. Now, both of these guys have got combined three or four million followers on Instagram. 
their their main songs have probably combined between them got maybe five to six hundred million views, and yet they are probably more content the fact that they got flown in on business class than anything else. There, there's no other quality control or obsession with what's going on with my career right now. Am I happy to be performing in like a local hall? Don't know. I don't know what. I don't know if they really care. You know, that's that's the thing. Because I can tell you the artists we work with that care, like Sherry, for example, or I don't know Zach Knight or Frenzy or bloody, you know, like some of these guys do care. They do inquire. They do say to me, "So, what venue are we doing it in? Like, how does it look? How many people are in there? You know, what's the sound like in there? All the sort of key things you want an artist to ask you, which shows that they're actually giving a shit." about where they're going to perform. Prophecy, same thing. Before they came over here, I sent them schematics of every venue that we were doing. What does it look like? How many people are expecting? You know, what kind of production are we looking into? Blah, blah, blah. Can we have rehearsals? This is your rehearsals. This is your sound checks. These kinds of things show you, okay, here's someone who gives a shit about the performance, how they're going to sound to a crowd, how it's going to look, all of that. And most of those other artists we've talked about, or the ones that are here or coming from India, they don't care. They're just like, RG, what time? Stage time? Okay, cool. A bottle of Jameson? Safe? Done. That's it. Let's go. That's it. Do, do you feel like, in, in a way, that not having that kind of Desi background as your primary kind of function, your interest in music gives yeah. you this benefit to kind of step out of, out of that and be more subjective in terms of saying, I can make these decisions a lot more clearer because well, I, um, I haven't got a bias? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I've... I, I think... Maybe that's a, you, you're probably looking at it a way that I don't really see myself in. But I don't really think that that I don't I don't feel like I have a bias. I just feel like I look. You know Business. what? I really try to treat even the artists I work with like not like a fan. Like I try to treat them as mm. just a person that makes amazing music that I want to do a good job for. So I think I'm hiring you because I want you to go away from this event and be like, fuck, I need to work with him again. Or I need to work with that brand again because it was sick. Like Sherry, for example, hadn't done a proper London show ever really. He'd done some banqueting halls or whatever, but you don't count that shit. So he came and he did like Fire, which is a, a well-known club. You can't, you know, Simon's done a few for me there, Frenzy. And, uh, you know, it was 1,400 people or something. He's just like, what the fuck? Like he walks in and it's just absolute pandemonium. And he gets to see, okay, this is what it can look like. You know what I mean? And we're already talking about doing the next shows. And every artist, even Gary, you know, he entrusted us with his only decent UK shows, really, apart from one that I think he did in Leicester. Everything else was pretty, yeah, you know what I mean? And there's something to say about coming and working with someone and seeing that quality. And I try not to be biased ever. I, I don't I don't let a personal dislike get in the way of business. Believe me, I have a few, <laughs> but I, I don't let that get in the way. I still work with some artists that maybe the personal relationship is cordial at best. But at the end of the day, we understand from a business perspective, us and you make money together. And that's what it really matters. So Because uh, like as you know, we've done a few gigs together and stuff. Yeah, but I hardly ever go. I only ever went. To, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not that one. That we talk got, all the way up to it, and then yeah. we talk after it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that. Like, how are you? are you? Okay, everything's fine. Okay, see yeah. you later. We'll talk later. But I, 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 I got to that. I had that kind of um, old man syndrome. Who was that? Camden. It was the Camden Markets. It was eight, ages ago, and yeah. I, I came in there first, and I was just, I couldn't believe that I'd never been to a Bangla gig that rammed. Yeah, I could not believe there was that many people within there, and then I was like, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't. It's a sensory overload as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it it was because like even to get onto onto the stage, and then I, then it was the first time I saw it, like you actually like a promoter giving, I don't give a fuck who you are, get that f off stage, 
get off stage. And I, you? I think I was in there. I think everyone got it. It, it was oh, just that's cool. no, no. It, 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 <laughs> no, it wasn't just you. No, no, it wasn't. It was everyone else because you didn't. It, it was at that stage where there was just so many different artists. You didn't care who the artist was. Yeah, because like, I think I had about. I think we had like seven or eight different people performing. Oh, it was a Monday come with seven Monday each. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, and it, and and the thing is, I hate. It, you know what I hate more than anything is a cluttered stage because for me, when you have the photos and the, uh, the video and stuff, yeah, you're looking and you just see this like sea of like people. It looks like a mela or something. It just looks so bad and look shabby and I know it's a club gig and pre people probably don't care and I'm sure there's lots of people that will listen to this that are other DJs that have come and played for me and they're like yeah he was a bit of a prick and he told us to get off stage but it's just like I think like this if I hire a DJ whoever you are whether you're a big star or you're just starting out that's your moment for you to shine not for your freaking mates to be your backup dancers not for your boys to sort of hold your water you know they can everyone's a child you know what I mean? Like that, no one's there to hold each other's balls or the bags. Like they're cool. He can get on with it. This is what he does. So let him do that. Let him have his shine in his moment because that's what we're all. The crowd are here to see them. They're not here to see you in the background. So let them do that. You can go. You should go off stage as a, as a mate and film their performance and enjoy it because you know them. So support your your mate from the crowd and make that noise for them. Don't be behind them like, oh, I hate that but is it, but, is it that but isn't that the difference in terms of what you were saying compared to others where you've got that production value? You, if you, The worst thing you've done is if you've spent time doing schematics, having the, getting the extra AV and getting all the yeah, sound yeah. and everything, and then it's just getting flooded and crowded out. Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, it doesn't happen too often, especially mm. when we have like the main production going because I've become much more of a dickhead to everyone. I just I'm like, <laughs> I don't care what anyone's going to say to me. Like I will be that, and I shout at everyone. I know it, but at the end of it, I think everyone appreciates when they look at the photos, when they look at the video, when they come to see their artist, and they just see their artist and they see the production, they can enjoy the show properly. They're like fucking, that's a great show, you know. And that's what I love at the end of the day. For me, the next day is going through the tweets, going through the Instagram, the DMs have just been, you know, amazing night, sick night, hundred and one snaps from people and Insta and this and that, and, and that's the joy of it. So yeah, if I have to be a prick to people when when those things happen, I'm happy to do it because. Yeah, doesn't matter, you know. It's a I mean, of course, of course, and 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 you know, at the end of the day, it's it's winning at the moment. So you you're doing something right. In terms of kind of like you, you know, you're doing a lot of these. You you're constantly doing shows. It's yeah. it's absolutely rammed. You're in some unbelievable venues, especially around central London as well, and in in that area. Um, when do you get fine to identify the future talent? That you, and then how do you separate to say? Yeah, this is the person that I think we can do something and, and maybe not this one. Um, well, it's tough because I think only in the last sort of couple of years, uh, even during pandemic, really, have we really actually started to see some actual new fresh talent emerge. Um, and, you know, no matter what, you're not going to make everyone happy. So I could put in a bunch of emerging artists on that no one's ever heard of and people will be like, oh, you know, I wish that you had like a well-known big name on there. Mm -hmm. And when I put a big name on, people say, oh, you don't give the new talent a chance. But we tried we tried our best to balance it. Like I said earlier about the native sound thing, for example, that endeavor was just so we could have a platform. And I wanted to create a feeder system. So you have an emerging artist platform, you have your sort of club shows, and then you have your live gigs, and then you've got your festivals. And what you want an artist to do, and this is for any artist, is go through that transition process from 
native so you, you they go from their acoustic sessions or their live sessions and their open mic nights to go into a club show if they've got that type of music that can fit right which is a bit more mass market then from there you go to concert so you become a concert support artist you're going on you're touring you're seeing new audiences you're building your profile and brand from there and then from there you go to the festival scene you start as a supporting slot in the beginning and then build it and as your material builds and gets bigger you go to being the headliner at each of those gigs rather than the someone that's a support act and you have to follow that to get your stage experience in to get develop your sound to meet new people to grow your brand and to get your fan base bigger so our aim was to essentially do that then obviously the pandemic's come and it's sort of knocked us back but we're going to work back on bringing that showcase night because for us that was the best that was the most joy i got of any events that i do it was literally just meeting new artists connecting them with other talent and seeing them go and even go and make music with each other i was just like man if they go and make a hit amazing you know like i don't want any credit for that and lots of the artists that we featured end up getting picked up by like virgin records and things like that and i know a lot of people are probably listening to that and thinking well you're an idiot you should assign them you should have done that but bruv it's not it's not my field mm-hmm. and i'm not the kind of person that says uh, over promises and i'll be like yeah i'll try and do that for you and then let people down i'd rather be like this is not my forte what i can do is connect you with the right people because i'm not selfish and greedy and i get that if you end up winning we all win so i know that sounds super cliche no no it's not because i think there's there's actual evidence of what you're you're saying if, if people have followed you and, and um taken a note of you especially in the last couple of years yeah. I, i've seen that more sort of that artist liaison where you've tried to put things together and do that rather than the easy job relatively speaking in terms of is just to do the gigs and put out but yeah, yeah, yeah. you you've definitely taken active side of going more kind of artist liaison to put f- things in yeah, so that- I'll give a perfect example literally just off this prophecy tour um so uh, pros team was in touch with me and they were like look like we like we discussed about doing a live band and so we're like okay how does this look so we want to we don't want to go like with the full band because it maybe will slow the pace too much but let's go with drums let's go with a keyboard or guitar like ideally so they said to me, like, who do you think? And I was like, oh, thinking, and I'm like, okay, there's this guy we Harps and I had on Native Sounds called Luke Massey. He's really well known in the scene, but not really a name out there. He came and actually did like a front man's uh, front man performance for us as, as a leading guy, but he's actually a really amazing producer and musician. He's actually on a Rack Stars band as well. Mm. So Rack Stars started doing shows with bands now, and Luke's part of that band. So I was like, man, he's amazing. Like, if I can connect them together and it can something can happen, then great. Uh, he ended up being our keyboardist and he also bought a guitar, so keyboard with a guitar sort of type thing. And man, just killed it, like killed it to another level. And the pride for me to see mm-hmm. my guy there and, and you know, all the musical synergy in that room, like on the rehearsal session. And, even you know, the artist saying to me after, man, that guy, like amazing find, right? And, you know, them hopefully making him a part of their future setups. Rob, like for me, amazing. Like I'm just happy that that, mm-hmm. We're able to put that type of talent in a room and to see magic happen. You know what I mean? So I have no like greed or pride over that. Like for me, I'm just not pride in that sense. Like I'm proud of him, you know. And I'm and if we can keep making things like that happen, then great. So that that new school, that new uh, the future kind of promotion in terms of you you need that anyway to even sustain those the, the live music and live gigs as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a place for all of that and like. There's again, like I said, there's not still now even South Asian artists, there is no plug for live music or live sessions or open mic. So, you know, like I said, we're going to bring that back because it was a great endeavor. But I, I hope that other people are listening that want to do stuff like that in their regions, whether it's Leicester or Birmingham or Coventry or Manchester or whatever, and can find a way to do similar things because 
we need it we need that access point for all artists to be able to come to and become a community and there just really isn't enough of it at the moment so and once and that stuff is what we're just kind of missing at the moment because the live event scene is now thriving pretty much you know concerts are back live shows are back you know bearing the omicron variant or whatever it's called and then um you know clubs are back and booming so we just need that entry level point for real artists to come into and connect with people and then once they can do that that cold flow will be back again um I, I want to get onto some, uh, a little bit in terms of kind of your mainstream and that. But has there ever been any points? Do you looking back on you in your career, so where you are so far, of yeah. any kind of gigs that you kind of that you've regretted or the biggest learning points? Sure, sure, loads, man, loads. Yeah, um, I think before the year prior to the pandemic, we had like a run of like pretty much a year where just pretty much every month, like one event would just go wrong. Like whether it was uh, just a flop gig or um, you know uh, we had one where uh, we did Mankirat Olek uh, in Windsor and uh, I'd never worked with a club before um, I knew of them there is you know Windsor's kind of fairly local to me I'd been connected to them by a DJ that works with us and I thought you know should be fine they'd made, made all the right noises in terms of being organizationally ready they were aware of the number of people that were going to come to their gig we sold under that limit even though I was told like, oh, you can do 800, 900 people. We did like 650 tickets. So we we're like, let's give it a little room. You know, don't want to overram it, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the venue on the day we turn up and they're like, okay, we're going to have 12 security. I'm like, cool. Arrived, they got three security. I'm like, uh-oh. And then I'm like looking, there's like no barrier set up. And I'm like, man, it's like 8.30, events opening at 10. Fuck, am I going to do? And I'm calling the venue manager. Oh yeah, mate, I'm chat at the moment. Like, I'll be there in a bit. And it's just like, gone to shit and i'm like i've got an hour to open what am i going to do so i'm talking to security going i'm like hey man like get some more security he's like mate what are you talking about like this the six of us will be enough i'm like no 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 six people is not enough in 650 700 people there's just no way and yet within about the first half an hour of doors opening and the queue going bloody all the way down the road i could see the security guy's face i looked at him and he looked panicked like you know nervous that's not what you want to see from your head of security yeah and i was like like, what are we going to do? And they ended up letting in, let's say, like half the people. So maybe 350, 400 top, no, about 350. And 300 people were outside going mental, you know? And then inside, imagine six security trying to, trying to hold a door with 300 people outside and then trying to control a club with 400 people inside with a live performer of such a well-known name about to go on stage. So, uh, I mean, that event just, when you say that to me, that event really sticks out to me because for me, that was like a, probably my like lowest point in terms of events because I felt like we'd done everything right but the things that had gone wrong were kind of out of our control and it just made us look like shit and disorganized but you know what can you do like, how, did you, I, how did you have the conversation with the with the with the manager the next day then about it they just went cold man they were just like uh they didn't accept any fault they were just like you know whatever and we just kind of said all right well we're not going to do business with you to be fair the venue shut like three months after so I mean, it's probably a beginning of the end for them as it was, but, you know, all that did was from a learning curve perspective, you know, just kind of teach me to really be more and as thorough as possible. Don't take any risks when it comes to venues. I mean, we hadn't really taken a lot, but that was definitely one where I should have just looked at it twice in hindsight and just said, never done events there before. Maybe go two or three weeks in a row to all their events and just see how they're rolling. But, you know, as you know, as you said at the start of this podcast, I'm so bloody busy. Where am I going to have time to go yeah. three weeks worth of events in one place when I'm in London 24-7 doing events or Birmingham or wherever it is? So, you know, these things happen, bro. And, like, with the volume of events we do, 
it's unfortunately going to be a case where when you're dealing with humans and human error, shit's going to go wrong sometimes. And you just have to put your, I feel, feel like being honest and putting your hands up and being like, it's our fuck up is really important. And the next day I remember going and putting a post on my personal socials, on our company socials. I mean, we refunded every single person that didn't get in. We were even refunded some people that were inside that just had a shit experience that were like, it was too busy. I couldn't get drinks on time or blah, blah, or whatever. We just put our hands up and said, look, completely our mistake. What can we do? Like, you know, uh, we take complete responsibility and it won't happen again. And that was mm. it. You move on because you can't stop. The world keeps turning. There are other, other events going on. Like literally the same night I had a thousand 200 people or something at another club in London. We had a Bollywood night going on. So while my partner's like sending me messages being like, bro, this night's going amazing. I'm like, bro, I'm having like a mental breakdown right now. <laughs> it's mad up here. And you know, you have to laugh at it. I remember one point just sitting down in the club and one of my mates comes over and he just looked at me and just put his hand on my shot. And he's a big, unemotional, like hard nut looking dude. Yeah, I remember putting his hand on my shoulder and just being like, bro, we're going to get through this. And I was like, thank you, man. <laughs> it was all I needed, but it was you know, just... You know, so you should have got him on the fucking doors and it would be a security. No, no, no. So <laughs> it was, this is how... That was... He gave, He took that break to come and comfort me while he was simultaneously holding the stairs at the VIP and being like, if you come up here, I'm pushing you down the stairs to people. So, you know, it was, it was just... It was a mess. But like I said, like... Bro, I've been going to clubs myself for so many years and seen it as a customer or gone to live events and seen it as a customer, whether it's a venue being understaffed or this and that. And unfortunately, shit happens. Like, what can you say? Like, have, it, have uh, you ever have you ever had the reverse in terms of where you thought this gig is going to be shit and then all of a sudden, bang, it's gone. It's gone crazy. Because I, I remember when speaking, I think we had a conversation with Frenzy at one point where we were going... Um, you know, like London, everyone buys the tickets online. It's a lot more ordered. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot more cultured. It's a lot more structured. And Birmingham is all about on the door. <laughs> so how do you prepare for that? Birmingham is like the most anxiety-inducing <laughs> events, bro. It's just mad because you just never know. You just never know. Like, I'll give you the perfect on example. Literally, this weekend, we had the after party for Prophecy, right? And this is like a pulling the curtain, peek behind the curtain moment. So on Monday or Tuesday, I was looking at my partner. And I was like, bro, we got to pull this gig, man. It is looking terrible. Like we'd only done like 30 tickets or something. The prophecy one? Prophecy after party. After party. Okay, yeah, sorry. Was right. gonna... So the show was sold out. The show's yeah, sold yeah. The after party, we had a, doing a club called Bamboo. And I was like, bro, like, this is looking bad. Like, And, you know, for us, we, we, we don't mind taking a financial hit if it's going to be busy. And if the party's going to be good, we'll take the hit on finance, whatever. Like, even if we've got to put lower price tickets or whatever. You have to do that sometimes for PR, you know? But I was like, tickets were reasonable, but they were just not flowing. And I'm like, oh, God, what are we going to do? And he was telling me, oh, we broke, cancel it, cancel it, cancel it. And I was like, no, nah, wait it out. I was ignoring his messages about it. And I was like, just wait it out. Maybe tomorrow. So what are, you, what are you telling Prophecy at the same time? Oh, if it's cool. So he's not performing at the after party. Okay, okay. performing on there. We had AJD. We had, and just like our residents or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I haven't told them at this point. So it's like Monday and Tuesday and I'm like, I don't want to tell them I'm pulling it. I don't want to tell my partner I'm willing to pull it. I don't want to tell the club I'm willing to pull it. I'm just sitting there like, maybe we'll wake up today on like 50, 60 tickets. Like maybe yeah. it's going to pop. And it wasn't. And I was like, shit, we got to Wednesday. And I'm like, okay, it's time to have that like difficult conversation now. So he spoke to Ezu's team or whatever. Uh, it's terrible, but he's like, you know, look, man, I don't know how it's looking. We don't know what we're going to do. Spoke to the venue. They were like, oh, 
I think we should just wait because we've had loads of phone calls and I'm telling you Birmingham's a late crowd. And I, brother, I hate hearing that. Like, I don't want to just see 300 people will turn up on the night because you can't plan for that, right? Okay. You as a venue even plan for that. But they're like, it'll be fine. We're used to this. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's see. And we let it stay on and it ended up being rammed on Friday. Like it was, it went from 30 tickets to like 300 people or whatever in there. And it was a great party and it was a great night. And, you know, as he was on there, we ended up having Fateh performing. H. Dami came and did a bloody full set and then Dips came and did a set. And it was just like a great night. Prophecy came and like, it was an industry thing. And we all got to hang out and chill and party or whatever. But I, I remember at the end, my partner was like, good decision to keep it on. And I was like, yeah. Like, yeah. so, but you never you just never know bro you just never know how it's going to be um and yeah like i said birmingham is just one of those cities you just can't plan for it and to a degree you have to be so certain on the product you're putting in because i mean i've literally just seen it you know this last few months few months where people have put on huge lineups and they've done like 150 200 people and it's just like i've looked at it looked at the product and known that they're going to do that number and i'm thinking I can hell, mate. Like, I don't know how you're going to go for this. And then when you see it actually happening and unfolding, it's a horror. It's a horror story. Yeah. And unfortunately, those kind of gigs really do a lot of damage for us as promoters. And I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be my gig for it to do damage for me because it's still a niche scene, bro. Like, you know, yeah. going out to Asian gigs is still a niche scene. There's not a lot of the, there are a lot of promoters now, but there's not a lot of quality gigs anymore. I've and every crap gig makes, one or two customers be like, I ain't going to Asian gigs anymore. They don't care whether it's Desi Beats or Ricky Entertainments or whatever it is. Like they will look at the Asian gig and be like, fuck going to Bhangra gigs anymore. I'm just going to stick to the club that I know or my local be at one or whatever it is that I get in for free and get my two for one cocktails because I ain't yeah. taking risk on it. So, you know, that that's the overall thing with it. And, you, you know, you you are one of the, probably the, uh, the the leading brands in terms of to try and have that conversation with you like, oh, I want to, you know, as an artist, want to be on on your gigs and have you manage it with that trust value, that brand values there. Have you ever looked at a gig that you let pass and think, shit, we should have had that? Mm. Oh, no, not really. No, I, I don't obsess too much about stuff like that. Like, I think we've always tried to um, just do our own thing, man. Like, I try, I, I don't call other, like, for example, I don't call other promoters and be like, when are you doing a gig so I can, like, plan my gig around you? I'm just like, we've got a good product, it's shit hot, let's just put it out and it will do its damage. And I know that's kind of a crazy way when there's so much money on the line sometimes, but I just sort of am so certain of what we do that I feel like I don't need to plan for other people. Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong, there's loads of gigs I'd love to do. Like, I'm not saying to you right now that, oh, I would never love to do Diljeet in concert or something. Yeah, of course, man. Things like that, like, are things... I look at those things, and I know, like, the team behind it, and I've actually spoken to them, like, on and off quite a lot, and I say to them, man, I just fucking admire what you do, and it inspires me in terms of a production level or a capacity level to say, fuck, like, that is achievable. We can go for that, and we can do that. So... No, I never think I wish I could do that. I just think, how can we do something better than that? Yeah, because you could see it now, like, Daljeet bought, there was a fucking lion on stage, you know, that big yeah, thing. Yeah, game changer. And, and, then you, and then you had, like, AP Dylan's their tour getting sold out in yeah. record yeah. amount of time. Prophecies went in record amount of time as well. So, like, is that the risk now of, you know... A, what I'm trying to give you is that your worst case scenario where your oh. produ your production has gone so crazy. It's in Birmingham. The phone <laughs> like the, the risk of margin now is getting bigger. No, I don't think I, for me, I don't believe that when it comes to live, it's totally different. Club yeah. events, 
is full risk, full, 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 seat of your pants, you know, brown trouser time. You're going to sit there. You're going to be nervous. You're going to be shitting it for the most part. But the live stuff, I just feel like people that do the live events, like I know there's people that you mentioned. I know the people behind all those tours. Yeah. And everyone is shrewd. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone is experienced. There are no uh, idiots that are doing the real, like the real actual quality tours and gigs, uh, whether it's Rahat or Solunigam or whatever, or, you know, Diljeet or AP or whoever. Um, or us, <laughs> um, or like my main, my main guys, E3 UK. Um, you know, any of these people we've just named, no one is, none of these people are stupid. We're all calculated people. We won't take those risks. We can identify what makes sense in the capacity sense. And I think that you can see by the results of how busy our gigs are, that we're in the know of what we're doing. Look at, I mean, look at E3 in Dubai. Just I was literally going to say that. Man, I'm so proud of the guys. Like, you know, we were, uh, you know, talking about them when they're putting everything together. Um, and, you know, they're, uh, believe me, the, the balls of steel to go and do something like that, especially during a pandemic, is, is, is really admirable. And they're the only people that could do it, bro. I promise you, like, you know, hats off to the team. You know, I know they're all shy guys. They don't like people saying the name, so I'm not going to. But everyone knows he's behind that team. Um, and believe me, like... They're on my Man United list, on my team list. So don't, huh? Yeah, they're on my Man United team list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a joy to work with them because behind the scenes, I'm sure you, you know all of us. Yeah. And uh, we're very similar like our mindsets, our goals, our visions. And man, like we have great conversations every day uh, about the reality of this industry. And uh, we've worked on so many great projects with them already. And it's just good to find like-minded people that we can collaborate with like that. So, so uh, Preston, in terms of like, um, you know, you dominating this area, in terms of like going into mainstream, how is that an ambition in terms of like, I know you've already ventured there, you've already got a presence in a lot of the clubs in, in terms of mainstream. How far do you want to kind of progress that? Um, being honest, not not too much really. Um, just because uh, I feel like we're far from done in the Asian scene. I mean, we're dominating it yet to a degree, but... Uh, you know, once you dominate a scene, there are, like I said, copycats and people that think that it's quick, easy bark and blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be more of that as as the the, the world opens back up. There are going to be more gigs. There are going to be more promoters. And your seat is never safe at the table, you know? Like, you have to keep working for it. You have to keep putting out a quality product. So, um, and we have lots of goals of where we want to go to within the Asian gig scene. I mean, this is only our first tour. This is only our first tour. We want to do much much more with that there's some stuff that i want to talk about that we could we, we're going to do coming up over the sort of next sort of 18 months that i won't say because as soon as i do i know there are 100 people that are going to try and jump in the grave of it but there are plans in place that we've already done the 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 the, the things are already signed off that we're going to move into as things open back up again that just sort of take it to another level because there's you know the agency still has a lot to grow a lot of growing to do and i feel like it's important for us to be at the forefront of it to lead the charge and and put people like us and e3 and everyone to make sure the standards are always high and set and the bar is raised so yeah you know in in, in your downtime then in terms of like you know moving away from this how do you um i know you're quite active in podcasting and you and you do that are you are you involved in in that side of work as well then too much not as much as i'd like to be so um i did some ufc related podcasts with my brother and his friends uh which were just sick like i love 
Uh, anyone who knows me or follows me knows that I love UFC and MMA. I've been following it for like nearly 15, 14, 15 years nearly. Um, and uh, it's just a passion of mine, like just watching it and seeing the sport evolve and grow and become so huge. And I just, I, I, and to be fair, I just, I, I think because I talk so much, that format of podcasting or conversation is just great. It's a great medium for me. I can sit and talk with you and we can talk about any subject. Mm. We're talking about just music and gigs now. We can talk about UFC or music and yeah. I have an opinion on everything. And yeah. I think it's really important to read widely and have opinions on everything, whether it's politics or the world or what's going on or whatever, you know, like it's important to be informed. So, so we got the, it's a, uh, we're recording this um, just before the, the Oliveira and Poirier fight. Who do, who yeah. do you reckon who you got for that? Uh, I've got Poirier for that. I just think he's, uh, I, and that's no knock on Oliveira, but I just think Poirier just looks like he's in the zone. Like he just, I feel like he's really assured and calm in his skill. I feel like he's got that sort of champion feel and look about him. But but Oliveira is not one to be counted out, man. Like, look, he got knocked down and came back and knocked Chandler out. And it was amazing to see. And I think people <laughs> underestimate his like technical level. His technical prowess is amazing. He's great everywhere, ground, boxing, and uh, and yeah, I, it's going to be an amazing fight, but I just, I don't know, man. I just feel like Poria has got that like beast in him. And I think he was the second best in the world after Khabib. And now Khabib's going to just feel like he'll be back on top. I mean, he beat everyone else. Right? Wait, 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 who do you see uh, one, a 155 champion in 12 months time? Oh, that's a good one. Probably say Makachev, to be honest. Yeah, yeah he, he's a he, he's a dark... He, if you're going to put money on someone, he's going to be there. It's just you, that Dagestani wrestling, man. It's just... It's just unbelievable. And I, I feel like Dariush is going to be a really interesting matchup for him because Dariush is so comprehensive on the ground and as a grappler. And I think he just, because he looks like so like kind of dour in his demeanor, people just don't give him credit for being so technically skilled. Dariush is amazing. And I think that if he can come out on top of... Uh, of um of Makachev, then I think Dariush could probably win it, to be honest, because he just has those fundamentals down to down to a T, you know. But um I don't know, man. Poirier is, is real good. And Makachev, if if he can really take and just smash Dariush, then I think everyone's gonna say, man, this guy's got it, you know. Yeah, because they're talking about like today, some of the today's information, uh, well, everyday's gossip, isn't it? It's just a um Maybe Connor and Ferguson. I think Connor's days are done, really, in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Gaethje still just kind of hovering, hovering around. Um, and then and the Gaethje, way, like I love Gaethje, but it takes just. I think damage after that, that the last fight with him and Chandler, you know that that was going to knock off years on your on your life. It's hard to watch, man. Like I, I love was... watching him, but he is a hard one to watch because it is just brutal is the only word to describe the way he fights and it's that just that first round I thought and you watch him like interviews after and it's like he can't string sentences together and you just worry for the guy because yeah it's you know as a fan you love seeing that brutality but like man like <laughs> I don't know I, I love brutality but even for me he's a little too brutal you know like it's a little too violent yeah, I mean, because even like with the, some of the Brits, I've got uh, one of my best friends from school um, runs Fearless MMA. Okay. And uh, Leon and Fabian Edwards trained there. And uh, Jake Hadley, who's just got his his, yeah, yeah. his contract. So I, I normally, if I, if I, I, I normally ring him and say, oh, what do you reckon? What do you reckon? And he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's a, amazing. Like, listen, Rocky, amazing talent, phenomenal talent. 
hasn't got the chance that he deserves. I think and he's I, been screwed, man. Every, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I, and I think horrible. Pure, unfortunately, when you haven't got that marketability for the US audience, you get a few points knocked off no matter what. And I feel like that Brummy accent is so bloody strong for him. It's probably cost him a little bit. And hey, look, it's nothing wrong with the Brummy accent, all right? Hey, he's a good-looking dude, so it's not like he's a... Uh, Do you know what it was? I reckon... You know, so... You know that the, 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 the final round with Nate? Yeah. It, if if that never landed, I think it would be just a oh yeah yeah. I think that that really did him a disservice. Yeah, yeah. Really, because it just gave people being like, oh, they could have got him, you know. And it's a shame. It's such a shame because he had done so amazingly prior to that, really, and like he'd really shut him out pretty much. But you know, it's 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 a game of what have you done for me lately? Like most of these industries are, and um, it's a shame. But also, bro, I'm a huge fan of Usman, and I just think the guy just looks on just a different bloody level, man. Like he is just. He's just crazy. Like, he's getting better and better, you know? Like, let's be honest. Like, he really done... Like, Colby and him, the fight again was great, but he was still the better man by by, by, by a yard, really, and by a yard or two. So, I don't know, man. I think he's... Con- and he's constantly injured as well. I remember hearing him doing a, a Rogan interview talking about how he couldn't, like, walk... He has yeah, to walk on grass. Everything is shot. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't, you know, doesn't retire within a year or so, you know, because... It is. I think that physical toll on him has been huge, and he's got a really huge payday just now off Covington. He could probably scrape one or two more big ones. Maybe he'll somehow find a way to fight Connor because Connor can always just call that card and be like, "I want to fight for the title," and no one's going to say no to him, especially uh, Dana. And, and also, in, in, in a way, if it were for Connor, these some of these guys wouldn't be getting paid no, that no, one. So, so you have to give him that, mm. you know, homage or whatever. And if if um. And if not, then he'll just go and fight Dustin or whatever, you know? So I, I think once uh, Usman's had a couple of more paydays, don't be surprised if he says sayonara, because on top of that, he's a really good speaker. He's already done analyst work and he could just jump into one of those roles without an issue, you know? So I think with the right barriers and the right protective uh, guarding, I think yeah. at one of your nights, because it's finishing about the same time, if there's a pay-per-view one, you could just have a little section out there just to put on UFC fights. Man, I'd love that. I'd love that. Um, I, I always found it hard. That was the hardest thing for me, like staying up for them, because it's like 3, 4 a.m. here, UK time. Usually I'm getting in from a gig at that point so I can catch the main card. But um, I think it was the Chandler one. I think that was about three issues, wasn't it? Like, oh, I, I had a gig on that night. I had a gig on that night. Literally. I, 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 let, I, I was watching it on my phone. Yeah, in- I, that's it. I, I, came, I came in and my miss, like, miss was going, I was like, yeah, uh, this ain't going to last. I was like, literally another 15 minutes because I want to watch it back again. Yeah, I was like, yeah. it's a crazy fight. I crazy fell asleep. Fight. I got in, I think it was two fights before. I fell asleep. Their fight woke me up. Then I fell asleep. And then I watched the, I think, the main two title fights that night. But yeah, it was it was a sick, it was a sick night there. It actually got me through all of that lockdown stuff, man. Real man. Pure vibes and entertainment, man. Just just seeing them go at it and you're like, okay, I can, this can keep me going. The determination. The I mean, you, you, you said it at first when you're at school, you're a bit of a geek and that there's the, the jujitsu and the, uh, the geek go together brilliantly, you know, yeah, yeah, human, yeah. human yeah. chess. When I tell people I watch it, they're like, oh, I can't, I don't know how you watch that. But I just love it. I just love it, man. I love it. And I've got my brother into it. Now my brother's like even way more knowledgeable than me doing podcasts on it. And he knows what, like who the latest fighters are. I remember being like that guy. Now I don't I even have time to watch half the cards. Yeah. My, my older cousins, my mum and sons and that, they're the ones who kind of like watched it. And then um, I was always fleeting. And then I've, as you're at home more and more, you got your interest coming in. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick you up. Life gets in the way. That's it. That's it. So... This is the bandwagon po- uh, podcast, so I, I give an opportunity to all the guests on here in terms of 
bandwagons that they can jump on or jump off. Uh, so is, is there a bandwagon that you'd like to jump on or, or to jump off? Ooh, um, bandwagon I'd like to jump on. Like what kind of subject matter? I don't know. I, I'll tell you one thing. I, I've said it. No one's actually. No, no, nobody's actually ever jumped on a bandwagon. So, like, okay. Makachev's an easy example, isn't it? He says, like, oh, he's a bandwagon. Oh, yeah, I've always been this. You know, I've always supported. I'm jumping. I'm officially jumping on his bandwagon. Jumping off people. I don't know. They've gone off an artist. They've gone off uh, a particular product. It could be anything. I, I, I generally leave I it. Name any artists I'm jumping. No, no. Off. Because I might be, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I good conversation when I come across them. <laughs> I, I generally get to the, I, I generally get to the point. I probably have to start rephrasing it later on. Really, in terms of like, is there anything that you want to kind of get off your chest, and this is an opportunity to kind of share? Um, get off my chest. Uh, look, man. To be honest with you, I the only thing I can really say about the strong opinion or getting off my chest is just that um, this industry. Like, you know, this industry overall took a huge hit over two years. Artists, promoters, venues, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, whatever they are. And I think uh, all of us coming together and supporting each other and getting a scene together again and being back out there is so vitally important. You've got to take your ego out of it. You've got to take your personal dislikes out of it. Um, you know, I have you know, even the past sort of couple of months worked alongside people that maybe necessarily I wasn't the best of friends with. Maybe we had some history or things like that, but I felt like I needed to take my personal ego out of it for a second to say, what is best for this, for the fans that want to come to gigs, for the artists, for the team behind it, whether it's a production company or the, even the bartenders, because end of the day, you know, nightlife industry uh, supports every tier, whether it's the people that work at a venue, whether it's the Uber drivers taking people home, whether it's the food van outside the venue, all these people work together somehow on the on the night. Do you know what I mean? And all I can say is, is I'm trying to be a better version of myself, like trying to be a less, uh, take things less personally and think more about the greater good of artistry and supporting artists and being out there to connect people in the right way. And I just hope that more people, because I know that probably 80% of the people that listen to your podcast are going to be people relate to our industry in some way. And I just hope that everyone can try and strive to be the same. I'm trying to put my hand out there to reach out to people to say, hey, look, you might have heard that I'm a prick, but I'm actually not that bad. And we can sit around a table and do business together. And uh, I think that if I can do that, anyone can, because if we're at the level we're at and you're really nice to say really great things about what we do, I try not to say that about ourselves and let other people do the talking for it. But if we are at that level we are and we can help people come up whether it's new artist or dj or whatever then we want to be there to do that and uh yeah man like look no access there should be no access cut off for people if you're a new artist and you want to get onto radio find a way man good music gets out there somehow good djs find a way to get onto the right stages and uh if we can do our best to open up our doors for that then we want to do that Prash Sutherson, i really want to appreciate you uh you know taking time out for this one um I, you know, I re it was exactly what I wanted in terms of like, you know, having this kind of sit down and give an opportunity for people to actually just see a little bit more behind the brands and the effort and the, the headaches, the learning, the passion, uh, you know, the interest from there. You, you know, it's not just financials. Those are the bonuses, the, you know, that the product's right. Um, and of course, there's always an open door for you on here and uh, would definitely be able to do some stuff in the future. So I really like, appreciate man taking this time out for me. Thank you, man. No, look, I, I, um, 
I love what I do. That's all I can say. I'm sure I'm, I know you're exactly the same. We do, uh, we do very different careers. <laughs> but we're in them for the right reasons, which is that we wake up every day being like excited about what's going to be ahead and what we can do and how we can improve things and leave them better than when we found them and that's the most important thing so you know this podcasting thing I wanted to jump onto it for ages and I was telling you I was like bro I love it <laughs> I've seen the variety of guests which is awesome because uh you know you've got everything from MPs to musicians to just regular dudes that do amazing jobs in the community mm. and I love that and um yeah man more power to you too cheers, um, man. definitely man keep it going yeah cheers respect man I appreciate that thank you thank you cheers man This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.